Good morning. Yes, I'm happy to hear you. I was unsure. So we're going to get something out of the way before I begin the sermon. Because I'm going to begin the sermon by quoting a French philosopher. What we're going to get out of the way is that um, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. So when I pronounce or mispronounce his name, um, don't judge me. If you know how to speak French or if you're of French descent, please understand I'm not trying to offend anybody here. I just want to start the sermon with his quote. So here it is. The French philosopher Jean de la Bruyere. Oh, thank you. Yeah. He wrote that children have neither past nor future. They enjoy the present, which very few of us do. Children enjoy the present, and the rest of us rarely do. I got to experience every part of that statement a couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago because I had the awesome privilege of spending a week in London. Never been to London. We went with family and friends. Some of them are here. And we spent the week there... And you know, when you're traveling, you want to go sightseeing. And some people are impressed with museums or activities or coffee shops or whatever it is. And it's good. You know, you want to go to Buckingham Palace, hoping to see the Queen or better, Kate Middleton and <laughs> Prince William. And, you know, not like the super high royalty. Everybody's all impressed with the younger folks. But, you know, you go see Big Ben. You know, you go shopping to different areas. But the thing I wanted to do is to watch a soccer game in Europe. Yeah. There was no games during the time I was there. Uh, so the next best thing was I was going to take a tour at Stamford Bridge Stadium. Yeah, none of you guys know what I'm talking about. Who, what? Did I say? Thank you. This man raising his hand is a man of God. <laughs> That stadium is where Chelsea plays. Oh, Scott's shaking his head because he's a Liverpool fan. That's where Chelsea gets to play. Chelsea is an amazing soccer team. It's one of the most popular soccer teams in the world. And I went to visit this stadium because soccer is my favorite sport and Chelsea is my favorite team in England. So I went there and immediately I became like a child. I was like, a stadium! The team's color is blue, so the entire stadium is blue. And I go in there, I'm like, blue everywhere. The chairs were blue. I was like, blue chairs. I'm sitting down. Grass. Never seen a grass field pitch before. And I became like a kid. It was awesome. They took us to the seats, to the press uh, conference area. They took us to their lockers. And I was like, Lockers. They shower there. And I was like a kid. But then the adult in me kicked in. You know, in the middle of like absorbing all of this amazing, you know, stadium. And just like, oh, I'm in London. All of a sudden the adult in me kicked in. Like, I got to take a picture. I got, I got 30 seconds before we go to the next station. What do I do? Do I just sit here and enjoy it? Or do I take a picture and document it for later? 
The tour guide is saying some really interesting facts. Should I just like pay attention to the locker room or should I pay attention to the random facts that this tour guide is saying? Oh, what do I do? And should I take a picture with myself in it or should I just take this the stadium, it's panoramic? Oh, it was a dilemma. And I became like a kid, but I also became like an adult who had a hard time living in the present. Do you find yourself doing that? Wrestling with whether or not you should continue listening to the person you're having a conversation with, or should you move on to the next person? (laughs) In good ways or bad ways. You know, today after church, let's just be real. Some of us are going to be paying attention, and we're going to be like, I need to make sure I talk with that person before they go home for lunch, right? Do I continue being present in this conversation, or do I move on? Do I uh, take a picture of my kids singing or do I just sit and enjoy them singing in front of everybody? We wrestle with this and we have a hard time living in the moment. And we have different definitions, different things that come to mind when we try to define what living in the moment is. For some of us, it triggers just pleasant emotions of, you know, living in the moment is I am enjoying every part of what I'm doing right now. In fact, I'm embracing it. Right? Oh, man, I, I am in living in the moment with the people I love. Oh, this is so good. I'm living in the moment because everything is just so pleasant and is so good. But there's some moments in life that are just not pleasant at all. Or it's just really hard to enjoy. It's like impossible to be able to be happy with what we're experiencing. And some of those moments are just painful or confusing or just painfully confusing. And living in the moment could be pleasant or unpleasant, but what it, all boils, what it all boils down to is you're experiencing the present for what it is. Good or bad, you're experiencing the present for what it is. We need to take time today just to look at Philippians chapter 4. Because in there, Paul is talking to a group, and he's speaking to us today about being able to experience the present for what it is. And Paul is speaking to a community that he met earlier, a community that he introduced the gospel to. This community eventually fell in love with Jesus and gave their life to Jesus, and they were just loyal to Christ. And they have a beautiful friendship. Out of all the churches that Paul dealt with and wrote to, this is the one that there seemed to be the most mutual affection for each other. This is a letter written to people he loves and loved him back. It is so good. And Paul is writing this while he's in prison. He doesn't know how they're doing. He didn't know how they were doing because there was no Twitter. There is no news stations, right? He was just stuck in the cell. But then the good thing is that community in Philippi sent him a messenger. They sent him monetary gifts. And the messenger came saying, hey, the church remains loyal to Christ even though they are being persecuted. Even though resources are low, the church remains loyal to Christ. The church sent him a messenger to be with him as well. That They sent him gifts, saying, here's his gifts. Even though we don't have a lot of resources, here you go, Paul. We love you. We appreciate you. We're okay because we continue being loyal to Christ. And chapter 4 is the end of Philippians of this letter, where Paul writes it because it's triggered by saying thank you for the gifts they have given him. And chapter 4, at the end of it, he shares with them in verse 10, saying, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. 
He's saying, like, I know. You guys have been going through a lot. I know. I know you care about me. That, that's special. But I'm so glad that I finally got to hear from you guys. And then verse 11. I'm not saying this. He's not saying that he's joyful because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. But I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul is here saying, hey, um, I'm grateful for what you gave me. And don't take this the wrong way, but I don't need it. I, I'm grateful that you gave me these gifts, but I want you to make sure you understand that I don't need them. I am content. I am satisfied. I am lacking a desire for something more or something better. I am content. Thank you, but I don't need it. Paul was telling them, because I know how to be content. He said, I know to be satisfied. And Paul, in verse 11 and 10, did you guys catch two of these words? Verse 11, he said, I learned to be content. Verse 12, I learned the secret to be content. He's saying, I had to learn this. Being satisfied, being okay with what we have, doesn't come naturally, does it? Lacking a desire for something more or something better doesn't come naturally for us, does it? Harvard University did a study on this recently. They did a study and they followed people And the study was trying to figure out how people live in the present and how it affects the way they experience life. So the the study was like this. They did three things. They followed people around, and they had an app. They would contact them randomly, randomly. And when they would contact them, they would ask them three things. What are you doing? Two, were you paying attention that you were doing that? And the last one, how happy are you? So the question was easy. So they would, you know, contact them randomly. What are you doing? I'm cooking right now. Great. Are you paying attention? Um, yeah. Or no. I'm exercising right now. Were you paying attention to your run? No, I was actually paying attention to what my coworker said the other day that really got under my skin. You know, so they asked him these questions, and the study found two things. One, that almost half the time, 46% of the time, people were not present in the activity that they were doing, right? They weren't paying attention to what their spouse was saying. They were thinking about the game that's on later on that day, right? That their minds wandered on good things uh, or bad things, whatever it was, but they weren't present. That almost half the time, people were not present in that moment. The other part was this. They said that the people who were not paying attention to what they were doing ended up being less happy than the people who were. I mean, the the study was saying that a a better predictor of one's happiness is not in the activity that you're doing. Instead, it's what's consuming your thoughts. It was was the research that came, uh, that discovered that. And it's not hard for us to, to see how that could be the case because our minds wander. What consumes our mind sometimes is the past, and that's why we can't be in the present. We're consumed with the good old days where we had less stress, less responsibilities, and we had more time, more energy, and we had more money. 
the good old days. And yes, life is good right now, but man, the good old days, they were great old days. And we rob ourselves of happiness when we just live in the past. Or we, we rob ourselves of happiness in the present because we look at the past mistakes and we say, man, my life would be so much better if I didn't make that foolish mistake. And that mistake from the past just looms over you in the present. And it robs you of happiness. What consumes our thoughts is sometimes the future, right? The future of, man, I can't wait until I move out. Have your kids said that yet? Because they're thinking it. (laughs) I can't wait till I move out. My own rules. My own curfew. I can't wait till I retire. Oh, that's going to be the best. Oh, I can't wait until I get that promotion, until I get into the program that I've been wanting to get into. Oh, man, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. You know, living in the future, not planning for the future, but living in the future could rob us of our happiness. And what consumes our thoughts could also be the people around us instead of what is right in front of us. You know, the studies have also shown that when you go on social media, when you go on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, they say that you end up being less happy than you were when you first got on. Because you're looking at everybody else's life. You're like, man, they're on vacation. I'm at work. (laughs) This is horrible. Man, they had way better engagement pictures than we did. Oh, man, I, I, I enjoyed my meal today, but all of a sudden I find out that my friend's husband cooked her a meal way better. <laughs> and you look at your friends or you, you, you have a, a project at home and you're like, man, I'm going to build a deck. Oh, it's going to be nice. And you, spend, you save all this money and you plan it and you paint it and it's finally finished and you're standing there and because you're a nosy neighbor, you look into your neighbor's house and you're like, oh, they have a nice grill. What this deck needs is a grill. And all of a sudden, you're not happy with the deck that just finished. All of a sudden, you need to get something more. And what's consuming your thoughts is what other people have rather than what God has already given you. And it's not a surprise why God tells us not to covet. Because it robs us of our joy. And you know, Paul is saying that he had to learn this because it didn't come naturally. And Paul wasn't saying this because he says, hey, it's pointless to reminisce. To cherish good memories. He wasn't saying that. He wasn't saying, do away with your goals. He wasn't saying, hey, don't gain inspiration from the people around you. He wasn't saying that. But what he was saying is that when you are thinking about something other than what is important, it robs you of your happiness. And Paul was saying that he was able to experience the present for what it was. And for Paul, what the present was, was a moment of grace. In verse 13, oh, in verse 12 and 13, he, he starts talking about how he learned the secret. The secret to being content. And in verse 13, I almost didn't even have to read it because we all have heard it. But I'm going to read it anyway because it's important. He said, I can do all this through him. He's talking about Christ. I can do all of this through Christ who gives me strength. The only reason I'm able to be content, to be okay The only reason I'm lacking the desire for something more, something better, is because Christ has given me strength. And as he's concluding the chapter, the letter, in verse 19, he takes it to the next level. He's saying, hey, I'm very thankful for what you've given me. And I want you to know something. I can't pay you back right now. (laughs) 
But in verse 19, he says that my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. He's saying Christ will not only give you strength, but he will meet your every need. Paul learned the secret. And for some of us, we're like, oh, we, we know this verse. It is so like Paul to go back to Jesus. So like Paul. I mean, he talked about like, when I'm weak, I am strong because of Jesus. Yeah, it's so like Paul to talk about Jesus being the source of his strength. We've seen in other letters how he said, I work harder than any of the other apostles because God gives me strength. It's so like Paul, right? We could almost predict that he was going to say that the reason he was happy is because of Jesus. But here's the thing. That was not predictable when he wrote it. Because in that time, being content, being able to achieve that, was done differently because of Stoic philosophy. The philosophy of the day said, yes, you could be content. Yes, that was possible. But here's how you do it. You do it on your own. You are self-sufficient. You don't need anyone else. The source of your survival, of your joy, oh, it comes from yourself. Nobody else. It comes from yourself. And Paul is saying, hey, time out. No way. You don't want to experience life that way. The way you experience true satisfaction is by depending on Christ's strength in your life. So yes, it's predictable for us, but it is opposite of what is common in our culture today. We still give in to that notion of, we are self-sufficient. I will get through this on my own. Sometimes pride is just too strong for us to ask for help. To ask, I mean, not just asking for help, like, could you help open this jar of pickles for me? I'm weak. No, no, no. I'm talking about the real stuff. Like, I need help. I feel alone. I don't know what I'm going to do. Self-sufficient to the point of we say, hey, God, I I read in the Bible how it says you won't give me more than I can handle, so I'm going to prove you right by handling it on my own. See, God doesn't give us more than what we could handle, but he still wants us to rely on his strength, not our own. It's predictable what Paul said, but it's opposite of what our culture says. Because our culture also says that in order to be content, to be satisfied, you need to seek self-gratification. Man, you need to pursue those pleasures in life. You need to get the latest gadget. You need to make sure your family looks good in front of, for, for everybody else. Oh, so, you know, just pursue the pleasures in life for yourself. And Paul, have you noticed in this letter that this community didn't have a lot, but they gave to their brother? Did you notice that Paul although was in prison and was facing execution, likely execution, he still sent this messenger that was probably his only companion at that time. He still sent them to his community and saying, he's been through a lot and he needs to be with you guys right now. See, Paul was content, not because he held on to everything around him, his time, his energy, his resources. No, he said, I am content and this is why I'm able to share it with my brother and my sister. Self-gratification is opposite of what Paul is talking about here. It also includes concern for our brother. Living in denial is something else that our culture tells us. Hey, you know, let's pretend that everything's okay. Better yet, let's pretend everything is amazing. So let's just fill our schedules with activities that are going to keep us busy. 
Let's, you know what? Everything's not okay at home, so I'm going to work even longer hours at, where I work, even though I don't need to. But I'm in denial of what's really happening. You know, we tell people what's going on in our life through our stories or through the pictures we post on Facebook, and they tell a different story than what's really going on in our lives, and we live in denial, and that is not a way to experience the present for what it is. Paul was fully aware of his situation. It was ugly. He was in prison. He was facing execution. He was lonely. He was in prison for a great cause, not because he hurt anybody's feelings. He didn't do anything wrong, but he was fully aware of his situation, and he was content. He was also fully aware of the times where he had everything, but that's not what made him content. It was the strength that he found in Christ. It was an acknowledging that Christ met his every need. That's what Paul is talking about to the people that he loves. And what it all boils down to, he was saying, I found the secret, so here's the thing, you have the choice. Because we know what society is telling you. They're telling you, you are self-sufficient. Our society is telling us, you need to be pursuing the pleasures of life for yourself. Our society is saying, hey, just, just tune it out. Just you know, act like nothing's happening. Nobody knows any better. Just tune it out. Paul is saying, you have a choice. Which one are you going to go with? Those, or are you going to go with strength in Christ and allowing Christ to meet your every need? Viktor Frankl, somebody who spent time in the Nazi prison camp, and we all know what, what happened in those prison camps. He saw how people were subjected to inhuman treatment, inhumane, and they threatened their decency as human beings. And he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And he wrote this as a description of what he saw while he was at the camp. He said, We who lived in the concentration camps can remember the men who walked through the huts comforting others. giving away their last pieces of bread. See, they, they may have been few in number, but they offer sufficient proof that everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of the human freedoms, Frankl says, the last of human freedoms is to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. He said these people who had been dealing with the, the horrible realities of being in a concentration camp, they said, we're going to choose our own way. We're not just going to think about ourselves. We're going to think about our brother. And Paul said, you have the opportunity to choose your own way. And he said, you have the ability to choose, to experience the present as a moment of grace. The reason he experienced life as a moment of grace is because he included Christ in his life. Because he relied on his strength and he allowed him to meet his every need. In those moments where we feel inadequate for the task at hand, inexperienced for what we've been asked to do, in those moments, they could be a moment of grace when we say, Christ is going to be the one who gives me strength. Inadequacy to overcome this obstacle, it is going to be Christ who's going to provide for my every need. When you are debating whether or not you should continue working in the office 
or paying attention to your child or your spouse for a little longer. Remember that the moment you choose to spend it with the people God wants you to spend it with becomes a moment of grace. Not, not a moment where you got to worry about what your boss is going to tell you, how you're going to look for not being able to finish the task or not doing it as well. The moment that you decide to spend with your child or your spouse becomes a moment of grace because God is saying, I'm going to take care of that. What matters right now is the relationship you're having with the people in your family. That is what's most important. Last week, we, uh, relatives of ours, they, they lost a good man. He passed away. And his funeral was yesterday. And, uh, you know, the family is sad and they miss him. But in all the conversations and a lot of the things that have been posted and just everything that's been going on, there is sadness and they are missing him. But, man, they are saying, thank God that we had this man in our life. And more than that, they're saying, thank God that God loves him more than we do. Thank God that we have this hope of being able to be with our father, our grandfather, our husband in the future. Thanks be to God for that opportunity. And even yesterday, even in a funeral, became a moment of grace. Because we're going to depend on Christ to be our strength and to meet our every need. For those of us who are confused and therefore terrified, terrified about all the horrible scenarios that we painted our, uh, in our minds about the future. Like, if I don't get this one right, this is going to be really ugly five years from now. Or if I don't get this one right, oh, it's going to be held against me forever. For those of us who are confused and therefore terrified, make it a moment of grace because you've included Christ in the equation of your future. Paul experienced the present for what it was. A moment of grace. Let's pray. God, we are thankful that although we are distracted, you pay attention to us. You pay attention to us in a way that gives us strength when we need it most. Where you address the needs that we truly need at the right time. Lord, I ask for courage for us to depend on you, to step away from our self-dependence, from our self-denial, our self-gratification, and to just step into a relationship that empowers us because of who you are. May we enjoy that today and in every moment of our lives. Amen.